one of the one of the scriptures that was in my spirit is in Genesis 11. And so if you would turn there with me, I, I want to read just a few of these passages with you. Um, while you're turning there, I want to speak to you about a passage that I know that you know well. This is um, recorded by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And he said that we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Paul also said to the Ephesians in chapter 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there are some very ugly powers in our world today. There is a strong demonic culture that is moving throughout the earth. And I I want us to understand because even in Christianity, we don't really want to acknowledge these things. We don't want to think about them. We, we want to kind of think of life as seasonal and, and maybe we're just going through a seasonal speed bump in the world or whatever it might be going on. Um, I, I've never seen anything like this in Louisiana, just to speak. You know, I've never, I've never seen the, the type of drought that we're, we're suffering right now and our crops are, are dead in the field practically and the, the rivers are drying up, the ponds are drying up around here and we had a tremendous cold front come through uh, last week, right? And no rain. Is that, I mean, w- one of the strongest cold fronts we've had for the beginning of the year, and there was just no rain with it. And I mean, I enjoyed the weather. I enjoyed the sunshine. I get to play golf and tennis and things like that, you know, and it's been really nice. But I, I can't escape the thought that is in me that, God, what are you doing? This, this, this has got to be something of God's hand and I want to know, I want to understand what God is doing. What is God saying to our state? And what is God saying to our nation? Um, and, and yet, a lot of times we don't even want to think of it in terms of a judgment or of a curse of God or something that God is doing. But I appreciate God's judgments because God's judgments are not vindictive. They're, they're acts of God in order to try to get man to, hey, stop and open up your eyes and ask a question, what's going on? Because I'm a good God and I'm not a bad God. And so even when God is moving in judgments, it's not evil. It's not wicked in the heart of God. It's a desire of God to, to get men to turn back to God and, and to face him. And so th- this causes me to do that. Causes me what I see what's going on in our world to do that. But this world is dominated by wicked spirits. This is what I just talk to you about is from Ephesians chapter 2, which is New Covenant times after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul said, with the exception of the church of Jesus Christ, the people of this world are living under the spirit of this age. He said that there is a course in this world. There is a prince of power that is in the air and there is a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. And, and so that is going on in our world today. And I just want you to understand that this is a demonic conflict. Whether you want to deal with that or not, you, you need to. There, there are demonic powers in our world. There are doctrines of devils and there are seducing spirits in our world. And so this spirit of antichrist, if you will that we have been warned about in the Bible is not a spirit that's coming. It is a spirit that is here and it's been here. I I believe even very possibly the Antichrist himself is alive in the earth. 
But the spirit of Antichrist has been working since the times of the apostles, at least, because John said in his epistle that even now the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world. And this spirit is opposed to Jesus Christ. But the force of this spirit, the, the, the power that, that generates this spirit is Lucifer. And this, this spirit is not mysterious. The, the, the means and the modes by which the spirit operates are not mysterious. Because we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Lucifer was there with that same spirit that would begin to infect the world letting the cat out of the bag, if you will, showing his hand. And basically what he was trying to appeal to humanity is this. You can do this life without God. You don't need God. You can be your own God. You can know things. You can know good from evil. And, and you can get to a place in your life where you don't need God. And that's what they're doing today. That's what science is doing today. That's what um, professors are trying to do today. That's what men are trying to attempt with AIs today. Is to create some kind of civilization where we don't need God that, that man can construct and engineer and create on his own the, these machines and these intelligences, if you will, that will be able to cure even death itself. They're, they're best-selling books right now that we're not far from um, removing the gene that causes death. Thank God Jesus did that. Jesus already conquered death. And he conquered it for all of us who believe in him. So we don't have to worry about that. But you'd have to take the gene of sin away, right? And only the blood of Jesus could do that. So this spirit is working in the world. In Genesis chapter 11, I'm just going to read some of this with you. Verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they... They dwelt there and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. I tend to think that there's a lot of demon intelligence in those statements, that it's not just men. Uh, why would men even think that there would be other languages? If there's only one language that men have always known from the beginning of time, how would they even know that there are other languages? But the devils certainly know they're tongues of men and of angels. And that the possibility of being scattered throughout the earth I believe is an antichrist thought. Let's maintain our unity and stay together. <clears throat> so the Lord in verse 5 came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, behold, the people are one and they all have one language. And this they began to do. And, and now nothing, and this is God saying this, nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So in this unity that man had in Genesis 11, God comes down. Now, what they were building was occultic. It was, they weren't trying to build a skyscraper. They, they were trying to contact this spiritual realm and this occultic world. 
And, and God comes down and he sees this and he sees that the whole world is one and they speak one language. And whatever they imagine, there's a power here. And whatever they imagine, they will be able to accomplish. So I'm going to confuse their languages and I'm going to scatter them throughout the earth. And so he says that in verse 7, confound the language so that they don't understand each other's speech. In verse 8, the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. So the name of it's called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from there did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so if, if you would... If you would just take this into consideration, because there's a lot of things we don't know about this, but there are certainly some very clear facts that we do know. And God is coming down and God is taking a sovereign act of his to intervene in human affairs and prevent men from doing what men were assigning themselves to do. God was going to stop it. If I don't intervene, then these people will accomplish whatever they imagine. So I'm going to prevent that. I am going to create various languages and I'm going to scatter them throughout all of the face of the earth. That's the fact we do know. Now, I believe, according to the word of God, that there are principalities and powers that are at work among rebellious men. And that these powers work in the, in the children of disobedience, as we've seen from Ephesians chapter 2. So I believe it is also factual for me to understand that there is demonic powers that work here in Genesis chapter 11. That is the spirit of Antichrist, which is an attempt to gather to the world together in one thought, one language, and one heart. And that these demons would be able to imagine through the man the things that it wanted the man to imagine. And they would begin to productively and progressively create that in the earth. And God says, it's not time. Not now. Not yet. It's not going to happen. But God does tell us in his prophecies that there is coming. And we believe very soon a world where the world is one. And that there's a one world religion and a one world government and a one world ruler and leader who is the spirit of Antichrist in the flesh. And, And God is going to allow that to come at some point. But here back, way back in Genesis, God says, not now. It's not time. There's a lot that needs to be done Before this ever occurs. And so God intervenes. And and when God intervenes. He brought confusion among the people. He confused the languages. And confused the people. And they were not able to communicate. And very possibly just even by the governance of the Holy Spirit. They scattered respectively to their commonality. Or their common language. Or their common things. And they went about on the face of the whole earth. And. And it is very possible at that point, and I would reference Daniel chapter 10 in this as well, where it is revealed to us in Daniel chapter 10 that there was a literal power, a principality that was over the kingdom of Persia. And and the angel of God had to wrestle with this Persian power. It wasn't a flesh man. It was a demonic power that was over the kingdom of Persia. 
And we also understand that Michael would be an angel that would be on assignment for God, for the kingdom of Israel. And, and he would fight for Israel. And there's this spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies, even right now. And these principalities and powers are fighting. And I believe that one of the great agendas of the principalities and powers of darkness is to somehow, through the centuries, breach the confusion and, and in some way be able to cause the nations of people to come back together with one mind and one thought. And I believe never before in the history of humanity are we seeing that happen before our eyes. I, I don't think there's anything that could explain the phenomena that is going on in the last 10 years. And, and I could even shorten that to the last five years. Or if I could, I could shorten it to October 7th and, and be able to say, what have we w- woken up to in this world? What in the world is going on in this world? The hate, the, the murderous spirit. The bitterness, the anger, the despising of God globally. It's it's like we woke up in a world like this. And and we wonder, and and how many, what are we going to wake up to tomorrow? We we woke up to the trans movement. We we woke up, some of us woke up to our government trying to sanction same-sex marriage. And, and, and it's like Christians, we just kind of sit back and we say, well, what happened? I mean, it's like it happened overnight, but none of this stuff is happening overnight. It, it has been moving by the powers and principalities of the devil. It has been moving and the church has been so splintered and divided and strife ridden that we have not been able to oppose this movement of hell in the earth. But God is there to do it. And the power of God is there to do it. And so when I consider these things, I consider that these devils were also scattered throughout the earth, respectively, over the different peoples and the different languages. And the devils now were in their own separation, trying to come back and form their unity, because Jesus said very well that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. How can Satan be divided against Satan? So even the devil knows that I need unity in order to fulfill my purposes or my kingdom will fall. And the devil's kingdom is a kingdom of a fallen world and a fallen humanity. That's his kingdom. That's, that's what he has to work with. And he's working in men and he's working in women. And he's working in politics and the educational system and the media and the entertainment industry. He's working in all of it vehemently. He's working. But God's sovereignty intervenes. We've seen pictures of this throughout history. Whether it was the rise of Babylon. Or it was the rise of the Medes and Persians. Or the conquering of Greece. Or the domination of Rome. We've watched this through history. Where Satan has tried to conquer the world. But in every situation, every case, God said no. It's not time, and he busted it up. For us, a time in history that's probably most close to us would be World War II. When Hitler, fueled by religion, was moved to exterminate the Jewish people because they were the curse of the earth. And he was doing it for God in his mind. 
to exterminate the Jewish people. Stalin was right there with him. That same Antichrist spirit was in Stalin's mind as it was in Hitler's mind. And millions upon millions of Jews were exterminated. The desire was to exterminate them all. But God, in his sovereignty, said, no, it's not time. And the other day, I was just sitting before the Lord, just talking to God. And I'm not going to say with all confidence that the Holy Spirit said this to me, but I was just talking to the Lord, and I heard this in my spirit. There's a point of no return. And I just heard that, and I just sat there, and and I heard it again. But this time, my name was on it. Lee, there's a point of no return. And I just considered that. I meditated on that. And I'm not by any means saying with confidence that God spoke to me any of this. But this was the contemplations of my heart. That there's coming a time when God will not say no. And he's going to let it happen. And the end of the world is going to come. And to me, this is a generation that is most oblivious to that moment than historically generations that I've been able to study. Usually when war or conflict like this happens, the church has become full. Christians examine their hearts and turn back to God. Hasn't happened. Hasn't. And I'm not just talking about Israeli Hamas. I'm talking about the absolute destruction and declining of our entire civilization. I'm talking about the injustice that we watch every day on the news. I'm talking about the bitterness and the anger that is filling the hearts of young people today. And they're being led to their destruction and led to their slaughter. And yet the heart of Christians does not turn to even think or consider with God what is going on. What is happening in this world? We're oblivious to the end of the world. But I believe, I know, according to the scriptures, that God watches over his word to perform it. And there's coming a day when God will not say no to the demonic spirit that is going to fill a man. And give that man world domination. God's not going to say no. He's going to let it happen. And beloved, it will happen. And I say to you, why is this moment so unique? Because I I know, not, not you, not to fault you as a person. I just know who we are as humans. Well, we've heard that all our life. Every time there's been a conflict in the world, we've heard that. Always the end of the world. Always Jesus is coming back. So why is this unique? One word. Israel. That's why it's unique. Not that Israel's in a fight. That's not unique. But there are some key things being said and happening all over the world. I want you to read this with me in Ezekiel. Chapter 36. I feel constrained of the Holy Spirit to give you this message. 
for you to take it to your heart, to listen, and to joyfully be aware. I'm very quickly going to go through verses 1 through 10. God prophesies and God says to the mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 2, the enemy has said against you, aha, the ancient places are ours in possession. Are you with me? Please don't take this as just any message. God shelved what I thought I was going to preach last night. And I'm trying to be a faithful pastor to you. In verse 2, the enemies of God laugh at him. They laugh at God. And they say, the ancient high places are ours in possession. That's what they're claiming today. They're claiming that Gaza belongs to the Palestinians. This is not an Israeli-Palestinian issue. This is a God issue. These are God's mountains. This is God's land. And the nations of the world are touching it. Very difficult. And verse 3, they have made you desolate. They swallowed you up on every side. That you might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen. And you are taken up in the lips of the talkers and are an infamy of the people. You are a shameful criminal to the people. Israel. That's what they're saying about you. We're living in a world, not where Germany is saying this. The United States is saying it. Senators and congressmen are saying this. 300,000 plus people marched on Washington, D.C. Saturday saying this. In Tokyo, in Australia, in Germany, in Sweden... All over the world, France, Spain, Germany, Russia, they're all saying it. And there is a frightening silence of force and authority coming out of the United States of America. You watch the mind of the politic and the media turn towards Palestine. You'll watch it. You'll see it happen. There will come a time... When God does not say no. In verse 4 it says. Thus saith the Lord to the mountains. The hills. The rivers. The valleys. The desolate waste. To the cities. Which became a prey of the heathen. And, and, And even in the chants in America. They're claiming the rivers. But God prophesies over his rivers. He says in verse 5. In the fire of my jealousy. Have I spoken against the residue of the heathen. Which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart. With despiteful minds cast it out for a prey. God's fire of jealousy burns in him for his people and his land. Especially when the heathens of the land with joyful hearts claim to appoint themselves as the possessors of that land. 
Ezekiel goes on and he says, I'm picking up in verse 7. I have lifted up my hand. Surely the heathen that are about you will bear their shame. In verse 8, he says to the mountains of Israel, you will shoot forth your branches. He says that you will yield fruit to my people Israel. In verse 10, he says, I will multiply men upon you. And then he comes down into verse 17. And he says, son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed throughout the countries. That was a dispersion of the Jewish people through the nations, which ended in the end of World War II. And I did this according to their way and according to their doings. I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. The Jewish people did not go into these countries honoring God. And when they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity. Now listen to this. I had pity for my holy name. Which the house of Israel profaned among the heathen. Wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I don't do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the heathen wherever you went. I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen. In other words, I will make my name holy that you have polluted among the heathens, that you have profaned in the midst of them. I'm going to do something in the earth so that the heathens will know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I sanctify you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Hundreds of years spoken before World War II, a dispersed people, that kept their ethnic identity. And God was able to fulfill this scripture and bring his people back together. And then he tells us, if you would look with me in verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. This is why it's different. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree, increase the field. You shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sakes will I do this, saith the Lord God, be it known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the waste shall be builded. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it is desolate in the sight of all that passed by. 
And they shall say, this land was desolate and has become the Garden of Eden. And they've said that about Israel over the last decades. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. And that has happened. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock as the holy flock as the flock of Jerusalem and her solemn feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men and they shall know that I am the Lord. But God says, I will be inquired of by Israel to do this. I'm going to get them to pray. I'm going to do it. Because my jealousy is burned up in me. And I am consumed with this jealousy for my name. My name has been polluted in the nations because of Israel. And guys, are you aware that the name of God is despised in the earth? Are you aware that God's name in all of the earth is, is, is considered scum? But God is going to do something in the earth that sanctifies his name among the heathens and among the nations. And God is going to exalt his name. And God is going to let the heathens know, I built this city. I built this country. I built these people for me. For my sake, I did it. And God is going to do it. Ezekiel has one of the most incredible revelations that a prophet could have ever been given. In Ezekiel's prophecies, he sees this valley of dry bones, and in it, it is just dry bones everywhere. And there's no flesh on the bones. And if, if you would read a lot of the commentaries, it would be as though the bones were aged or fired, that they became so dry. I believe with all of my heart that what Ezekiel was seeing was the crematories of, of Eastern and Western Europe during the days of Hitler. That they saw the furnaces that the Jews would be burnt in. That Ezekiel saw those mass graves where the bodies of Jews and their bones would lay in ruin. In those heap piles of the people of God in God's name reproach. And Ezekiel sees that valley of dry bones. And the Holy Spirit says to Ezekiel, can they live? And Ezekiel says, oh God, you know. And the Holy Spirit says, then prophesy to the bones. And the bones came together. And then Ezekiel was told by the Holy Spirit, prophesy for flesh to come on them. And a remarkable prophecy that the Holy Spirit told Ezekiel, you prophesy for them to stand up in one day as an army. Because on the day that Israel was declared a sovereign state again, she was under attack by 30 million Arabs and their countries to annihilate her and push her off into the sea and be done with Israel once and for all. And the United States and Britain were not there to help her. But God was. Her battles were supernatural. Her victories were unexplainable. Even at West Point, they will not study the military strategies of Israel because they make no common sense because they're spiritual in their nature. Even right now, what's going on in Israel and the soldiers and the people that are testifying of the divine intervention of God and the miracles of God that are happening in that part of the world. You should read it. It's fascinating what God is doing in the world today. But we don't. We bury our heads into our careers and our jobs and our happy little lives and our, and our happy little hobbies. And we don't understand a world is coming to an end. Praise God. My world's not. I'm not depressed. My world's not coming to an end. 
But I get to be a part of the greatest challenge and victory and testimony I believe has ever been afforded the church of Jesus Christ. And Ezekiel was told by the Holy Spirit, you take two sticks, one for Judah and one for Israel. And he said, you hold those two sticks in one hand because when I bring Israel back into her nation, she will not be two people. She will not be two nations. She will be one nation, the nation of Israel. And that is exactly what God did. And now you've got people in America, if you just cue that up for me. You've got people in America and you've got people all over the world advocating for the, for the uh, pa- Palestinians and, and, and advocating that Israel is a genocide people, committing genocide, committing illegal acts and, and, and terrorism and things of that nature. And I just wanted you to see this, just like a 20-second thing, if you all have that ready. This is in D.C. Saturday. Over 300,000 people came to protest Israel. 300,000 people came promoting pro-Palestinian values, unashamedly saying that we are in favor of Hamas, who rapes women, chops the heads off of babies. That's who we're in favor of. That was in our, that was in our nation's capital this weekend. That, that's, that's got to send something into your spirit that as the church of Jesus Christ, that it seems as though as a nation of people, A point of no return has been reached, but God, but God. And if there was ever a time a world needed a people who knew God to touch God, it is the time right now. I would think in a world like this, the prayer meetings would be absolutely packed. I would think in a world like this, that Christians would be calling prayer meetings in their homes. They would be calling prayer meetings in the church. They'd be meeting together in groups of people. Let's call upon the Lord. My God, my children could be going to war in a week. But we don't want to see it. We don't want to face it. We don't want to hear it. I know these are not popular messages. But I am constrained by the Holy Spirit to speak to you. That there will come a point of no return. And God will move. Spirit of delusion is in the world. On our university campuses. Being taught out of the mouths of our professors. Jewish students on our college campuses have to be locked into rooms. Taking police and security forces. A leisurely hour to get there before they're broken into and possibly killed. Signs are placed on business establishments all over this nation. No Jews served here. It's not simply some type of protest about a war going on in the Middle East. That's not it. It's not about the nation of Israel and Hamas and conflict. What has unraveled before us is an absolute anti-Semitic, anti-Christ spirit of hatred all over the world for Jews. Maybe this time God will not intervene. Maybe we're at that point where God says, it's time. It's time to bring it to its end. I'm ready for the kingdom of my son to come. Perhaps that is what is unraveling before our eyes. I don't know. 
But I do know this, that Peter said in his epistle, seeing that the day is at hand, be sober. Watch unto prayer. Love each other fervently with a love that covers a multitude of sin and be hospitable to one another because the end of the world is coming and it is at hand. So I want to, I want to change gears for just a moment. And I wanted to say this to you. This is the part where I really feel constrained of the Lord. And if they're coming up here, I'm not finished yet. Sometimes these musicians go, okay, that's enough, Pastor Lee. It's time to get down. <laughs> not yet. It's not even 12. So Psalm 8611, David says this. He says, God, unite my heart. To fear your name. And I I was thinking about that. Because there's a proverb that says. Guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life. Can can I just. As your friend. This morning. Young people. Young people. As your friend this morning. Would you just give me 10 minutes. And really listen to me. Would you please listen to me for 10 minutes? Guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life. And a kingdom divided against itself is not going to stand. And if you live with a divided heart. You may watch your life crumble. Keep your heart. By entrusting it to Jesus Christ. When I think about David praying to God, unite my heart to fear your name. David understood the task was too great for himself to unite his own heart. Would you be honest for a moment about how divided your heart is? And classically, if we just looked at our heart like a pie. And there's a slice for God. Then there's a slice for your career. And a slice for your family. And a slice for your hobbies. And a slice for your pursuits. And a slice for your retirement. And your heart's divided among your friends. And your interest. And your hobbies. And your life. And your heart gets divided. I understand it. Because I have, a, I have the same heart as you. And I can't unite my heart. But I don't want my life to crumble. I, I don't want it to fall. In the last leg of this race. That. At least I'm running believing it. I'm not prophesying it, but I'm running believing that it could be the last leg of this race. And I've just been desperate before God to unite my heart. Because I feel life pulls at me from so many directions. School, friends, social media. Many hours would we be invested in these types of things. And our heart is weakened by all of the division. And it begins to pull at us. And I don't know where we ever got this idea. It's God, family, church. Just, that's ridiculous. It's God, period. The honor of God in my family. The honor of God in my world. The honor of God in my church. It's God, 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 period. All the time. I want to seek him and his righteousness. I want to know him. Everything else will fall into place. 
Guard your heart. Your heart's divided. You know it. Some of you, your heart doesn't burn for God. It used to. You become dull, numb, and I get it. This society, what we see now on our phones, what we watch in reels, TikTok, and things like that, it'll numb our hearts so quickly. And we like to just think, you know, well, these are just those unique, selective type things that just have 300,000 plus people at our Capitol Saturday. That's not just a little unique thing. That's a movement all over our nation. It was happening in Chicago and Los Angeles as well. It was happening in France and it was happening in Japan as well. It is an antichrist demonic spirit that is moving the masses of humanity to its destruction. It thinks to its triumph over Jesus Christ. But God says for my own jealousy and my own name, I'm watching over this. I want to read this scripture with you. It's Psalms 91. And then I'm just going to ask you some questions. In Psalm 91. It's a Psalm of Moses. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him will I trust. Now, I want to say very clearly that I believe everyone who is born again and put their faith in Jesus Christ could be confident that you rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That the door of God's protection, the door of God's intimacy has been opened to you and you have entered it by your faith in Jesus. But I think there's a lot of people who try to comfort themselves that that has happened to them and they haven't even been born again. Examine your heart. Is the Lord your hiding place? The Lord your refuge? I will say in verse 2 of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. All of this imagery is not expressing to me a life of no pain. It is not expressing to me a life free of conflict. It is expressing the fact to me that there is a God who is going to watch over my life and shield and protect me and keep me and bring me through it. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. Some of you are afraid. Some of you are afraid. Afraid to live your life. You live in a, in a, in a state of panic or state of terror. Ask yourself. Am I living in the secret place of the Most High? It says, you won't even fear for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. Thousands shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. Only with your eyes 
shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Now listen to this. I want to focus on verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. Could I ask you to really consider doing that in your life? Would you make the Lord your refuge and habitation? You see, a refuge is a place that you run to when you're under the gun. It's like a safe room in your house. And so when trouble comes or someone to, to break in or if a storm came, everybody in the house knows run to the safe room, run to the refuge. And that's what it is. So we kind of just live our life, right? Just kind of live our life doing our own thing and all of this and all of a sudden. And, you know, Israel and Hamas, that's not really touching me. And I know Baton Rouge needs a lot of help. But, you know, my life's okay. My neighborhood's doing good. Everything's fine with me. And so none of this is really creeping on on me. But the moment it does, we're going to all run to God. We're all, I mean, it's just instinctively we're going to run to our refuge. But it says this, because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, your shelter, your habitation. In other words, it means this, that I'm not living a life now just pursuing my own things with a divided heart. But now I'm living my life with God as the one who is my habitation. I'm, I'm really a follower of Jesus Christ. I follow him. I, I'm not going around telling people I'm a Christian I'm not going around telling people, hey, yeah, I was baptized when I was eight years old. Or I'm not going around telling people, yeah, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12. And, and, and I, no, that's not, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. God is my habitation. I live with him. I live with him. And I'm not feeling around or, or troubled or in terror or panic when something bad happens in my life because God's right here anyway. I live in him. And, and I would ask you to do that, to make the Lord your habitation. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Make the decision to do it. Make the decision to let Jesus Christ affect your heart and to affect your life. I mean, what if? What if? I don't know. I'm not saying this is Ezekiel's war that's going on there. I don't know. It could be a hundred more years on this planet. I don't know, but I do know this. Is Jesus Christ not worth it? Is it not worth me being able to say to Jesus, I, I love you. I, I just want to live every moment of my life with you. I want to be intimate with you and I want to be close to you. And I just want you to unite my heart. I want my heart to be all about you, Jesus. And, and please don't buy into these ridiculous things where you're, you're, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. The most earthly good person that ever walked on this planet was from heaven. So let me close with this. I want to ask you about just some things with your heart. And now the worship team can come up. I call this friends on the fringe or Gethsemane friends. Because all of us, and, and really pay attention, all of us pay attention. We all have friends on the fringe of our life. There are people we know, people we like, 
Sometimes people we do things with, sometimes we hang out with them. It's typically in larger crowds with a group of people or something. These are our friends on the fringe. But the Gethsemane friends, those are the people that are with me. Those are the people that I ask to be with me when I'm sweating blood and I feel like I'm about to die. Those are the people that know me the most intimately. These are the people that I lean on. I'm not talking about a pastor. I'm talking about the people who flesh and blood life with you. Your most intimate acquaintances. That if you're going to spill your guts, this is the person or the people you're going to do it with. And I'm asking you, what are they like? Think about right now those people. It's probably just a handful, probably less than that. May not even be your spouse. Maybe one, two, three people in your life that are like that. This is very important. If this is a point of no return, dear God, whatever point it is, it's really bad out there. Does this Gethsemane friend share the same heart desires for God as you do? The person you're dating. Do they take this stuff seriously? Like you do? Do they believe it? Does does it affect them? The person you're romantically involved with, do they want to pray like you want to pray? The person you're about to marry, the days go by and the months go by and a disease enters the family sickness cripples the flow of life the romantic things we dreamed of begin to fade away and it's just life is that person you're romantically involved with are they going to fight with you for victory if they're not fighting now are they just fun that intimate acquaintance oh, I just really like them I really like being around them because they're so positive and so wonderful and just so happy and nothing's ever heavy you need a better friend and you need to be a better friend are they as sober as you are Are they sober like you are? Are they aware of what's going on? Now, you may not be sober. But if you are, where are they? What are they putting into your spirit and into your life? You need to be careful who you're intimate with. 
people that you're intimate with or the people that you're going to do battle with. You don't need them to run from you on your day of trouble. And you don't need people in your life telling you everything's going to be okay when it's not. Are people making excuses? We need people in our life that are making strides and building my faith and inspiring my walk with God. It's the kind of people I need to be intimate with. People who will be truthful with me. Because I can tell you this, if Jesus tarries from five years ago, this is an unrecognizable society. In five years, what will the next two look like? What will the next year look like? How many terror cells have we allowed in through our southern border? What are they waiting for? What's the call? When is it going to happen? When are they going to come marching down your street? When are they going to beat on your door and say, are you Jew friendly? Are you a Christian? I need people in my life that are going to help me not be a coward and be faithful to Jesus. I need a a heart that's united to fear God. I don't have one. I want one. I don't want a divided heart. It's so easy for me to say how much I love God in a world like this. I'm not challenged, but what if they walk through that door? Would I have enough of the Holy Ghost in me then? Would my heart be so united then that that I wouldn't, for the cost of Christ, that, that I wouldn't say, well, what about this? What about... What about that? What about um, my, my hobbies? And what about what I'm laying up in store? What about my friends? What about my family? No, all for Christ. I surrender all to him. I freely give. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. If God decides this is the day that I go, this is the day that I go. But I'm not turning from Jesus. No way. My heart's totally united in this. Totally united. This doesn't build seeker-friendly churches. But I do think it helps believers gain the strength to endure and walk in the faith, finish the course, fight the good fight. Your God is coming soon. Be ready and help others be ready. Stand with me. Would you just would you just come? you just come to the Lord? Would you just gather around him? I'm not asking you to make any promises to God. I'm just asking you to ask the Lord to help you, to fill you, to unite your heart, to fear the Lord, to make the Lord who is my refuge, your habitation. Make him your habitation. Live with him. Oh, he's so beautiful. beautifully so worthy live with him help one another church oh for God's sake help one another
love one another. Pray for this world. Pray for this hour that you faint not. If you've got friends in your life that are not influencing you very well for Jesus, they need to be fringe friends, and you need to find some Gethsemane friends. Let the Lord choose them, not you. You'd rather live strong than weak. pray in the name of Jesus that you would glorify your son in us I feel so constrained Father that the world became different in 2020 we've watched it unravel dramatically since then there's a lot of deception and delusion that is all over the world it's hard to even know what to believe so we look to you We rejoice that we are your church and we're your people. Our hearts are not troubled, for we believe in you and we believe in Jesus. And our home is not under attack. Our world is not under attack. There's no war there. There's no terrorist. You'll come get us soon. Help us to live joyfully in a world that is depressed. Help us to live in a world that wants to kill itself. Help us to love in a world that's full of hate. Help us to demonstrate Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the help of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. Thank you for our friends. If you've got those friends in your life, they just help you walk with God. Just begin to thank the Lord for no greater friend than the Holy Ghost. He's there with you in the darkest of nights. When you can't sleep, neither is He. And when you're weeping, you're crying, He's catching every tear. He's so close to you. Just thank the Lord for your friends. Thank the Lord for what you have. Thank the Lord that Jesus will see you home. You have entered the secret place through the blood of Jesus. You live there safely. It's not to say that fear won't threaten you, but it doesn't win. Life doesn't fall apart. 